Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality... That's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Monday, January 23rd, 2023, the 733rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't, or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide variety of podcast platforms, except Spotify. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, to the merch site, to the social media, and to the writing by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. So we talked on Friday about the two-year anniversary of the illegitimate administration and Joe Biden pretending to be president still, even though the regime is falling apart right before our eyes. And we're beginning to see all of the chaos and all of the distractions you might imagine would pop up when the regime wants you to look at anything but them. 
And we'll get into a bunch of that in a minute. But let's start with Dilbert cartoonist Scott Adams. Now, Scott Adams thinks that Scott Adams is the smartest person on the planet. Scott Adams is not the smartest person on the planet. I'm not even convinced that Scott Adams is smart. I have no idea why he has the sizable following he has. Maybe it's because he was pretending to go around as the political whisperer throughout 2017 and 2018, letting everyone know that he was the man who predicted Trump's win. And it's because he knows about hypnosis that he was able to figure it out that Trump is a master manipulator of the narrative and of people's impressions of him. And Scott Adams thought that he was the only person who had figured this out. The only person who believed that Donald Trump really could win. Now, to be fair, I myself at that time did not think Donald Trump could win because I was hooked into the central narrative and I believed the television when it said that Hillary Clinton was going to win. That comported with everything I had known about politics up to that point. So Scott Adams had me there. Hey, Scott, congratulations. But everything since then has been an absolute disaster for Scott Adams. Now, Scott Adams is the kind of guy who goes into his Amazon book reviews and responds to people who are leaving negative reviews on his book. That is not a joke. He really spends his time doing that. He also has recorded videos of himself in a violent rage because someone dared to insult him online. The dude is kind of nuts. He even kind of hired a wife off Instagram, but they're no longer together. And that is very sad. Maybe that helps to explain the source of his narcissistic rage. Now, Scott Adams also was a major supporter and proponent of the vaccine. He, like Ben Shapiro and many others, told people that he was an expert on decisions just like this. He was doing all of the analytics. He was considering all the possible angles and definitely making the right choice. Whereas all those conspiracy theorists out there, all those anti-vaxxers, they had no idea what they were talking about. They just didn't want to go along and they were putting their lives and everyone else's lives at risk. Well, Scott Adams has reconsidered his position. Here is Scott Adams' new position. And Scott Adams believes that what he's saying here is some sort of apology or an admission to what he actually did. But see if this sounds like someone actually taking responsibility. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell you that the people who, the anti-vaxxers, appear to be right. Somebody who did not get vaccinated, got a little Omicron, or maybe even a worse one, but recovered. Now you've got natural immunity, and you have no vaccination in you. Can we all agree that that was the winning path? The smartest, happiest people are the ones who didn't get the vaccination and are still alive. I want to make sure that I'm not leaving any wiggle room for myself. Have I? Have I said as clearly as possible they're the happy ones right now and have a reason to be completely? 
having uh, having said as clearly as possible that the anti-vax people seem to be the winners, I want you to hear that clearly. The anti-vax people appear to be the winners. The anti-vaxxers clearly are the winners at this point, and I think it'll probably stay that way. And and I don't want to put any shade on that whatsoever. They came out the best. They they have the winning position. The unvaccinated have a current advantage because they they feel better. the The thing they're not worrying about is what I have to worry about, which is I wonder if that vaccination five years from now, because really the anti-vaxxers I think were really just distrustful of big companies and big government. That's never wrong. It's never wrong to distrust government. It's never wrong to distrust big companies. So if you just took the position, let's just distrust everything the government did, well, you won. You won. (laughs) You won completely. I did not end up in the right place. Agree? You would all agree with that, right? I did not end up in the right place. The right place would be natural immunity, no, no vaccination. You should take victory, and I should take defeat. We can agree on that, right? That, that my position is now the weakest, and, and your position has gone from the weakest to the strongest, and that we can just say that's true. The people who didn't get vaxxed are absolutely in the winning position. You win. You win. You are the winners. You are the winners. All right, let me say that part with no ambiguity. You won. You won. Uh, all, all of my fancy analytics got me to a bad place. All of your heuristics, don't trust these guys, it's obvious, totally worked. Now, I want to be clear that this clip was cut up a bit because Scott Adams is actually there on a live stream and interacting with comments that are coming in. But I do want to note a few things about what he just said. Okay. He said that our decision point essentially was just not trusting the government. It's true that that alone was enough to make the right decision about the vaccine and virtually everything else for the last few years. But that is still a diminishment of how people actually made those decisions. Also, he's saying that the characteristic of our winning is that we're the happy ones now. Oh, they're happy and we're not happy. Therefore, we won. Now, ultimate happiness is an end in itself. And so I suppose in certain conversations that might be seen as a win. But this isn't a matter of who's happiest with their choices. This goes so much deeper than that to the place that people like Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson and now Scott Adams simply don't want to go. The truth is that they didn't check. All their fancy analytics were not fancy analytics because they had bad numbers from the pharma companies, from the FDA, from the CDC. The communications from governments, public health officials, and doctors were all wrong, and they were founded on nothing. In fact, they were worse than being founded on nothing. They were being founded on obvious lies 
that we could see were lies. So they had a garbage in, garbage out problem. Everything they used in their fancy analytics to make their big, important decisions that would surely prove right because of our analytics was garbage. And there was ample reason to know it was garbage before it got to them. And that's because we had already spent a year of the very same people spitting out nonsense and garbage. They told us that lockdowns would work. They told us two weeks to slow the spread. They brought masks out of nowhere after saying that they didn't work and then claimed they did work and that they worked so well that if you didn't wear one, you were killing someone's grandmother. And then later they said two. And then people wondered, what about three masks? Did they ever tell you when it was safe to go down from two masks to one mask? Did they ever explain the science that said masks weren't necessary at all? And of course, over this time, we have heard that lockdowns didn't work and masks didn't work and can't work and never could work. And even their big fancy masks that they tried to switch to the N95s. Well, those don't work either. And that's what the study said. And that's what the studies have always said. Ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, they're both great. So are a range of other therapeutics. They told us that not only were those therapeutics not great and wouldn't work, but that they would actually kill us. And the FDA made it impossible for those therapeutics to be prescribed off-label. They couldn't be used for COVID. They could only be used for the very particular set of circumstances the FDA said was okay. They threatened doctors who would prescribe them anyway. They threatened pharmacists who would fill those prescriptions. And in the midst of all of this, they said it was good that people go out and riot over George Floyd dying of a fentanyl overdose while being restrained by a policeman's knee. They said it was OK because people were outside. And besides, racism is an even bigger public health crisis than covid. So, you know, let them burn down your cities. They used all of that to implement universal mail-in balloting schemes and ballot harvesting. And they did it all around the country. And they said it was necessary because of COVID. And then they used all of that to steal an election, cover up the election steal, and then start calling anyone who noticed a domestic terrorist. So trusting anything that came from any of those people after having already been lied to for the entire time was not just a matter of we don't trust government. Therefore, we're not getting the vaccine. It's you cannot do fancy analytics in this situation. And the truth is you don't need to do fancy analytics in this situation because covid simply isn't as dangerous as they told us and not trusting government could have gotten you to that point, too. But you also could have just used your eyes and ears and seen that people are not dropping dead in the streets and people are not dying at their homes from COVID. People are dying in hospitals and nursing homes, primarily due to medical protocols and the recording of the statistics like COVID cases, COVID hospitalizations and COVID deaths. We knew 
at the time that all of that was being manipulated to drive a fear based narrative that would allow them to continue implementing the agenda they were implementing. All of that was obvious in 2020. If you bothered to check, you don't need fancy analytics to know that it's a bad idea to inject yourself with an experimental medical technology that has never been used in the world for a disease that can't kill you. What we had is a population of people who are conditioned to obey and then went out and sought out a rationalization for how obeying was not only the easy and comfortable thing to do. It was also the smart thing to do and the morally correct thing to do. And they were so insecure about the position that they had to attack anyone who didn't share that position. They made a life or death decision without considering life or death. And so everyone else has to, too. Scott Adams is out there now pretending that this is some major apology, like he's finally set things right. So now no one can talk to him about what he did in regards to the vaccine. And no one can hold that against him in terms of his overall judgment on a wide range of other issues that he similarly doesn't know very much about and continually supports through the same poor logical reasoning. Well, I'm being told all these things handed down from the authoritative source. I'm just going to mix up a bunch of analysis on this. I'm going to move a few steps away from what the regime is saying so that I can sound like I'm thinking for myself. And then I'm going to still side with the position that is absolutely wrong, but is in total opposition to the people in the group that happens to now be the target of the hate movement. So he'll never agree with us. It was smart for him to be able to predict that Trump won, but that doesn't make him America first. It doesn't make him an awake and aware, free thinking American. He's just repeating the slogans with his own special twist so that everybody thinks he came to these brilliant positions on his own through his fancy analytics. And it's not a contest. We didn't win and he didn't lose. We were right. He was wrong. We were right for the right reasons. He actually said a few months back that we were right for the wrong reasons and he was wrong for the right reasons. He was doing all of the intellectual work really well and really responsibly. And it's someone else's fault that things just got messed up along the way. Meanwhile, we were all ignorant and stupid and reactionary and essentially ended up right just by dumb luck. And this is the sort of thing you would expect from a cartoonist who becomes a mouthpiece of the regime in the very smart set of people at the intellectual kids table on Twitter. All of these people believe that they are following all of the smart people. And if they see and reckon with all of the smart people's positions, then surely they're going to come to the right position themselves. And they believe this even while knowing that Twitter and other social media platforms and by the way, Google are heavily censored. They knew that they were getting less than full information, assumed it was full information because all of the smart people were saying it. And then they just rationalized their decisions, their decisions, always the easy ones 
lining up with the regime and the source of financing. And last week, we learned just how rich that financing is. Steven Crowder turned down a $50 million offer to join the Daily Wire, and there were options for it to be more money for a longer term. Crowder turned it down because he already makes a lot of money and didn't like their offer. So all of these conservative, in quotes, influencers who kept themselves on YouTube throughout this entire time. They specifically didn't say the no-no words so that they could keep their platforms even while they were misinforming their own audience about the reality of the world. These people are making multiple millions of dollars per month to convince you for the thousandth time that the trans agenda is evil and critical race theory is being taught in our schools. Now, those are two important issues, but not compared to the amount of time they spend on them while ignoring COVID being entirely based on lies, the elections being stolen, the very violent insurrection, again, entirely based on lies and the vaccines, not very safe, not very effective while they're selling them anyway. You think the couple million dollars a month they're getting paid to do that? has some influence on what they're saying? Yeah, I think it probably does. Otherwise, are they just ignorant? They're just dumb. They don't know how to get information. In that case, you certainly shouldn't be listening to them because what in the world do they have to offer you except being wrong all the time until six months or a year or year and a half down the line admitting, oh, hey, gang, I guess I uh, I guess I got this wrong. I trusted my doctors. It's just part of my religious upbringing to trust the experts. And hey, my wife is a doctor and she didn't check either. So I did check with doctors, but all the doctors said that the vaccine was the most important vaccine that you could ever get. And so, hey, gang, if you don't get the vaccine, you're dopes. And I've taken a lot of shit from people who are good friends of mine for coming out and saying these guys aren't good. The Daily Wire is not trying to tell you the truth and make you informed so that you can make good decisions in your life. The Daily Wire is supporting the regime, and they are lying about some of the most important issues in our country's history. That is what they do, because that's what the money says to do. Matt Walsh does good trans work. Kudos, okay? Candace Owens made a documentary about BLM. Wow! Jordan Peterson is good at setting people on a better course in their life. Well, congratulations. I'm not saying no good work ever comes out of that place, but I am saying look at where their most committed listeners are now still extremely confused about some of the most important issues in our lifetimes. And many of them are confused about all these issues while being vaccinated because the people they looked to as experts and friends operating in good faith lied to them. They didn't check. They didn't bother finding out if the regime was wrong or the experts were wrong, and they promoted it to their audience. That's who these people are, and they're getting paid multiple millions of dollars a month to do it. But hey, Scott Adams just said he now endorses President Trump for 2024. So is he just being a chaos agent? Maybe. But I guess we'll see. So We got 2020 back all this weekend, all the political violence, the harassment and the intimidation, and then all of the lying to cover up 
all of that political violence. We had a little merry band of communists protesting rather quietly outside of Justice Brett Kavanaugh's house over the weekend. They were complaining that the Supreme Court shouldn't be ruled by rapists, but there's no proof that Brett Kavanaugh ever did anything like that. And he sat there and took all of the lies and abuse in his Supreme Court nomination hearing. But that's not good enough. Brett Kavanaugh is simply unfit, especially next to Kataji Brown Jackson, who doesn't know what a woman is and was lenient on pedophiles. But sure, made up fake claims about Brett Kavanaugh should invalidate him from the Supreme Court. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to delegitimize the court in front of the eyes of the country. And why are they trying to do that? What are they trying to head off? What is coming for the Supreme Court to handle? Guess we'll find out. It's possible that Kerry Lake's case in Arizona might make it that far. I guess they wouldn't want Kavanaugh around for that. And it's kind of funny because this weekend on Twitter, people started going after Brett Kavanaugh again. So, of course, the messaging is all coordinated. This isn't just 20 random communists in a little Facebook group deciding that they need to go picket outside Brett Kavanaugh's house. But you might recall that late last spring, maybe early summer, this was kind of a common occurrence. They were protesting outside of Justice Brett Kavanaugh's house and some deranged leftist lunatic, we are told, had an assassination plot that he actually went to carry out on Justice Kavanaugh and his family. And that came right in the wake of the leak of the Dobbs decision that would overturn Roe versus Wade. The left had no problem doing that. So now they're just trying it again. And it's interesting timing because last week, the investigation into the Supreme Court leaker turned up absolutely nothing. And I do not pretend to know what that means or where this is going, but they are some interesting dots that are connecting. Yesterday, we got news of a mass shooting event in Los Angeles County. This is from Red State, L.A. County Sheriff. Suspect in Monterey Park shooting is an Asian male. Officials don't believe an assault rifle was used. Officials in Los Angeles County held a press conference at 8.30 a.m. local time to provide updates on the investigation into a mass shooting in Monterey Park that left 10 dead and 10 wounded. As we reported, the shooting took place at a dance hall shortly after the first day of the community's Lunar New Year Festival ended. Los Angeles County Sheriff Robert Luna stated that investigators have received different descriptions of the perpetrator, preventing them from providing a specific description but that the suspect is an Asian male with a probable age range of 30 to 50. So naturally, we were told that all of this was an anti-Asian hate crime, much like we saw in 2021 when someone shot up some massage parlors. We were told that was an anti-Asian hate crime. Turned out not to be at all. And if this one is, well, it was pulled off by an Asian. Did the communists online wait to find out who the shooter was before calling it a hate crime and blaming it on their political enemies? Of course not. And once they found out, what happened to the story? Well, they'll spin out the news cycle and then we'll probably never hear about it ever again. And then we had the return of BLM Antifa in Atlanta. 
burning things down. This is from the Daily Mail. Antifa protesters mimic George Floyd screaming, I can't breathe. Ah, respect for the hero George Floyd by pretending they can't breathe even when they can because they think it makes them look like victims. Amazing. Antifa rioters armed with explosives screamed, I can't breathe. As they were arrested by police officers on Saturday night after torching cars, hurling fireworks and smashing windows with hammers in downtown Atlanta, clad in black hoodies, ski masks and surgical face masks in order to obscure their identity as they perpetrated acts of wanton vandalism. Video footage saw at least three being pinned to the ground by police officers, all while screaming George Floyd's dying words. And how about that for a paragraph that has everything? Wait a second. They're wearing surgical face masks to obscure their identity? I thought those face masks were to protect you from being infected with an aerosolized virus. It's strange that they didn't say the black hoodies and ski masks were to obscure their identity and that their surgical face masks were to protect everybody's grandma. And you do have to love how they just wanted to replay the George Floyd thing for everyone who might see those videos. Perhaps this BLM Antifa riot was just an homage to the salad days of 2020. However, unlike Floyd, who died at the hands of Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin in May 2020, those who were being placed in cuffs on Saturday night were clearly able to breathe and they made their full throated claims audible in front of cameras. It's interesting that they say George Floyd died at the hands of Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. Why didn't they say George Floyd was murdered? Isn't that what the court said? Yes. Okay. But it's not what the medical examiner's report said. The medical examiner's report said George Floyd died from fentanyl. But no one's allowed to know that because if people knew that, they might think, why did we have to endure night after night, month after month of nonstop violence, nonstop burning and looting and rioting and assaults? Why did we have to deal with the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone in Seattle and the other autonomous zones in cities around the country where Antifa simply took over and installed their own systems of laws and even began gardening in the parks for their own food in case their moms forgot to bring them Totino's pizza rolls during their lunch breaks. But hey, who cares, right? It's not about how George Floyd died. It's about how they solved racism by going out into the streets and rioting and burning and looting and assaulting police officers and just regular average citizens as well. Pedro Gonzalez on Twitter put out an excellent thread about what was happening in Atlanta. And if you want to read it in more detail, you can go to contra.substack.com, but I'll go through the thread. Atlanta is suffering a wave of riots. A leftist shot a cop. 
Mayor Andre Dickens said people are facing domestic terrorism charges. And as it turns out, these protesters are connected to the Democratic Party's political apparatus. Manuel Esteban Paez Tehran was killed by police after he shot a Georgia state trooper. He was part of a group protesting a planned public safety training center coined Cop City by critics in an Atlanta forest. His death helped spark the riots that swept through Atlanta, but this wasn't the first flash of violence. Last year, these leftists hurled Molotov cocktails at officers and AT&T workers and attacked firefighters. But back to Tehran. Tehran was connected to a movement called Defend the Atlanta Forest. In a tweet, the group indicated Tehran was fond of cop killer Asada Shakur. And Asada Shakur is some sort of icon of BLM figures and other communist radicals. The left wing outlet Green Matters described Defend the Atlanta Forest as, quote, decentralized with no official leadership, spokespeople or organization status in order to retain anonymity and is made up of various individuals and groups. That sounds pretty grassroots. But the group's website shows that it is plugged into the Democratic Party's broader organizational network. The website states that you can assist them by donating, quote, to the Atlanta Solidarity Fund to support legal costs for arrested protesters and ongoing legal action. The Atlanta Solidarity Funds. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Donation page shows that it is hosted by Action Network, an online platform that left-wing groups use to organize and fundraise. The Action Network's big clients are the Democratic National Committee, the AFL-CIO, and Black Lives Matter. Its website prominently displays the following advertisement. After three months of using Action Network, the DNC shattered all sorts of fundraising records. In short, the fundraising apparatus and political network designed to keep the people engaged in domestic terrorism, as Dickens said, out of jail, is connected to the Democratic Party and its proxies. As an aside, PBS has exclusively referred to Tehran by his nickname, Tortuguita in its reporting. He is introduced as, quote, a non-binary person who went by the name Tortuguita and used they, it pronouns. Tortuguita, the wannabe cop killer. So once again, BLM, Antifa, domestic terrorists, left-wing, radical, domestic terrorists, organized and funded through the normal Democrat Communist Party apparatus. So 
so shocking. And as you might imagine, Democrat communists online were trying to push the story of Tehran as if he had not shot a cop. The cops were the bad guys, you see, and Tehran was a freedom fighter who was murdered by police and therefore all of the domestic terrorism is totally justified. And then there's this from CBS News. Representative Catherine Clark's daughter out on bail after allegedly assaulting Boston police officer. Now, Catherine Clark was the white haired lady on the Democrat side of things during the House Speaker election a couple of weeks ago. She was kind of made into this national figure through that exposure. She is a longtime Democrat Communist Party leader. But let's get into the article. The daughter of Massachusetts Representative Catherine Clark was released on $500 cash bail Monday and ordered to stay away from Boston Common after she was charged with assaulting a Boston police officer. Clark, the House Democratic whip, said in a tweet on Sunday that her daughter, 23-year-old Riley Dowell, had been arrested. I love Riley, and this is a very difficult time in the cycle of joy and pain in parenting, Clark wrote. This will be evaluated by the legal system, and I am confident in that process. They actually left off the first part of that post that said last night my daughter was arrested in Boston, Massachusetts. But why would they reprint that part? Police said officers responded to a report of graffiti at the Parkman Bandstand Monument on the Common Saturday night during a protest. They found a person identified as Dow, a resident of Melrose, allegedly defacing the monument with spray paint and anti-police phrases. During the arrest, a group of about 20 protesters began to surround officers while screaming profanities through megaphones on the public street, causing traffic to come to a standstill. Police said, adding that, quote, an officer was hit in the face and could be seen bleeding from the nose and mouth. Prosecutors said Dowell flailed her arms, striking one of the arresting officers. Police allegedly found a can of spray paint in Dowell's backpack and saw paint on her hands and jacket. Dowell was charged with assault and battery on a police officer vandalizing property, tagging property, vandalizing a historic marker slash monument and resisting arrest. She's due back in court April 19th for a pretrial hearing. Well, all of that sounds like a spoiled child of privilege, wants to be acting out for social credit. But surely they were just doing the right thing, after all, being the daughter of a powerful Democrat Communist Party member. So it's got to be justified, right? I mean, right, CBS? A fatal police shooting earlier this month in nearby Cambridge sparked protests over use of force. A 20-year-old student at the University of Massachusetts, Boston, Syed Faisal, was shot and killed by Cambridge police. He had advanced on officers with what police described as a kukri, a type of sword, and a less-than-lethal sponge round had failed to stop him, police said. Well, sounds like the police were doing everything right while being attacked with a sword. And so Catherine Clark's daughter needed to go out and make her voice heard in the face of such injustice. But wait, what's this? Second to last line in the article. This is strange. Clark has spoken publicly about the fears of her own non-binary child amid bigotry targeting transgender people. Now, what does that mean? Why are they bringing that up? 
Oh, oh, it's because her daughter is actually her son and his real name is Jared, except CBS won't just come out and tell you that it's a mystery. You might remember that Catherine Clark said, I remember my middle child waking up with nightmares over concern around climate change. I've had my family at a movie theater when the movie stopped. My children immediately felt there must be a shooter in the theater with us. So she has absolutely terrorized her own children with her own deranged political nonsense. And now one of them is pretending to be a woman and going out and rioting with Antifa. And it's kind of funny how she says this will be evaluated by the legal system. And I am confident in that process knowing that she is in the fully communist state of Massachusetts and that she is one of the most powerful members of the Democratic Communist Party's House delegation. I bet she's right. I bet that she will get her son or daughter, whichever one it is that day, to be let off with a small slap on the wrist. Because, hey, they, it is just doing what they, it thinks is right based on what they, it learned from they, it's mom. But even after a weekend packed with derangement and insanity, Monday starts off even bigger. This is from the post millennial this morning, breaking FBI official who investigated Trump ties to Russia was just arrested for Illegal ties to Russian oligarch. Whoops. On Saturday afternoon, former FBI agent Charles McGonigal, who was head of counterintelligence in the New York field office and a part of the investigation into supposed ties between Trump and Russia, was arrested over his alleged ties to Russia. CBS reports that McGonigal was arrested over his ties to Oleg Deripaska, a Russian billionaire who has been sanctioned by the United States and criminally charged last year with violating those sanctions. As Business Insider reports, McGonigal was involved in the investigation into the Trump campaign's contacts with Russia during the 2016 election, except they didn't have those. Michael Driscoll, the FBI assistant director in charge, said in a statement, the FBI is committed to the enforcement of economic sanctions designed to protect the United States and our allies, especially against hostile activities of a foreign government and its actors, but not so much against the FBI's own abuse of the American justice system and Americans themselves, I guess. Russian oligarchs like Oleg Deripaska perform global malign influence on behalf of the Kremlin and are associated with acts of bribery, extortion and violence, Driscoll said. As alleged, Mr. McGonigal and Mr. Shestikov, both U.S. citizens, acted on behalf of Deripaska and fraudulently used a U.S. entity to obscure their activity in violation of U.S. sanctions. After sanctions are imposed, they must be enforced equally against all U.S. citizens in order to be successful. There are no exceptions for anyone, including a former FBI official like Mr. McGonigal. Sergei Shestikov, a court interpreter who assisted in investigating Russian oligarchs for the FBI, was also arrested Saturday for his ties to Deripaska. 54-year-old McGonigal, who retired in 2018, was arrested at JFK Airport after arriving in the U.S. from Sri Lanka. 
McGonigal is charged with violating U.S. sanctions by trying to get Deripaska off the sanctions list. According to the DOJ in 2021, McGonigal and Chestikov agreed to investigate a Russian rival of Deripaska and allegedly received payments for their efforts. They are accused of forging signatures and receiving their funds from Deripaska through shell companies. They're facing money laundering charges. Each of four counts carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison, reports CBS. 55-year-old Deripaska, an aluminum magnet worth $1.7 billion, was sanctioned in 2018 by the Treasury Department. The cause for the sanction, according to Treasury officials, was, quote, the Russian government's ongoing and increasingly malign activities in the world, end quote. And what could be more perfect than a corrupt FBI official who was investigating Donald Trump and the Trump campaign for totally made up ties to Russia while himself having illegal ties to Russia. If that does not perfectly describe the last seven and a half years, I don't know what does. Also over the weekend came the news that Joe Biden chief of staff Ron Klain was leaving. Ron Klain has largely been credited as the guy who's actually operating the fake administration. He's the guy behind the guy or whatever Joe Biden is. He's basically like the guys in Weekend at Bernie's that take Bernie around to the parties and stuff. And he's been replaced by a man named Jeff Zients. And we may have a chance to get further into this later in the week. But for now, the short version is that Zients was the fake administration's COVID coordinator. He also happens to be worth $150 million. He was the one pushing for strict employer vaccine mandates and censoring Americans. And he's the guy who announced that unvaccinated Americans would face a severe winter of illness and death. So one criminal steps out of the spotlight and another one steps right in. And you might be thinking, well, that's a lot of turmoil for one weekend, all kind of stemming from the same turmoil within the fake administration as the fake president begins to implode as a result of his own historical political corruption and compromise. But wait, 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 it gets worse because we would never make it through a whole weekend without a new set of classified documents turning up at a Biden property. This is from Saturday in CNBC. FBI finds more classified documents in 13 hour search of Biden home. Oh, wait, the FBI is searching now, too. It's not just Joe Biden's personal lawyers retrieving them or finding them as they were moving offices. Huh? So strange. The FBI found more classified documents at the Wilmington, Delaware, home of President Joe Biden during a consensual search Friday that lasted nearly 13 hours. His personal lawyer and a prosecutor said Saturday evening, oh, the search was consensual. (laughs) You can only imagine that the small children who Joe Biden routinely searches had been given the opportunity to express consent before the fake president groped them. 
The discovery was the fourth time since November that classified records or material has been found at a private address of Biden's. His personal lawyer, Bob Bauer, who, by the way, is married to Anita Dunn, one of the people mentioned as a possible replacement for Ron Klain. But Bob Bauer, in a statement, said the Justice Department seized, quote, six items consisting of documents with classification markings and surrounding material. And of course, as it's commonly being expressed online and in the press right now, six classified documents. That's not what it is. It's six different sets of documents. Joseph D. Fitzpatrick, assistant U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, told NBC News, I can confirm that the FBI on Friday executed a planned consensual search of the president's residence in Wilmington, Delaware. Some of the items dated from Biden's tenure in the Senate, where he represented Delaware from 1973 to 2009, Bauer said. And some of the items were from his tenure as vice president in the Obama administration from 2009 to 2017. So Biden had classified documents at his properties from his time in the Senate that ended in 2009 when he became vice president. So those documents are all at least 14 years old, and he's presumably had them there or somewhere. It's likely they've been moved. How does this happen? That's not what is supposed to happen with classified documents. And Senator Ted Cruz weighed in on this on Twitter. He said, this says some of the docs are from his Senate service. Serious question. How on earth did he do that? I've served in the Senate for 10 years. Every single classified doc I've read, 100%, have been in a secure skiff in the basement of the Capitol. What the hell? And that's a great question. The documents are only supposed to be viewed in the skiff. When they are moved in or out of the skiff, they are moved by a classified document courier who has clearance to move them from one place to another. And then records are kept for that chain of custody on both ends. That's how the process is supposed to work. There's no part of the process where a senator just gets to take the documents to their house and keep them forever. And with someone with the extensive history of political corruption that Joe Biden has, well, you begin to explore options. Were these documents related to things Joe Biden did? Did other people know that Joe Biden took these documents? And did Joe Biden at any point show other people these documents and receive money or benefits from doing so? Did he in any way compromise the national security? All of those are possibilities. But back to the article from CNBC. In addition to those records, FBI agents who did not have a warrant for the search also seized some notes that Biden wrote by hand as vice president, according to the lawyer and the White House. Very strange, isn't it, that the FBI did not have a warrant? Just put a pin in that and keep it in the back of your memory. Neither Biden nor First Lady Jill Biden was present during the search, according to Richard Sauber, special counsel to the president. The items join an undisclosed number of classified government records previously discovered by lawyers for the president. A small number of classified records were first found by Biden's lawyers on November 2nd at a private office. 
that he kept at a Washington, D.C. think tank after ending his tenure as vice president in the Obama administration in 2017. It really is strange that they don't mention that the think tank was at the University of Pennsylvania, that Biden was making something like a million dollars a year as an honorary professor, and that the whole thing was funded with Chinese Communist Party money. But hey, it's CNBC. They're not here to give you the full context. They are here to do limited hangouts and protect the regime. The White House only disclosed that discovery on January 9th. On December 20th, a small number of classified records were found in the garage of Biden's Wilmington home. And see that? No big deal. It's just a small number of documents. And they were found there by Biden's lawyers who contacted NARA and then turned them over to the Department of Justice. You remember the whole story as they told it to us. That's what it was. Oops, there's classified documents next to the Corvette. How did those get there? Better contact the librarians. And the article goes on and on, just restating all of the limited hangout elements from the central narrative. But naturally, finding new batches of classified documents stolen, we have to say, by Joe Biden and hidden around all of Joe Biden's various places where he conducts business, let's say, is going to upset some people even on his side. This is how Joe and Mika took it. You can hear the pain in their voices. You know, what is 25 years ago, 20, 24 years ago, I'm still not saying anything about classified briefings I got just because you don't take a chance. You know who knows that? You know who knows that better than anyone? Joe Biden. And it doesn't not, seem that way, Mike. It doesn't seem this that was, way, Mike. Why are there so many classified it's in, documents? Joe, it's incredibly... In, in, in the Penn Center? Why are there classified documents talking. in his garage? Why are there classified documents in his home? And Joe Scarborough, to be fair, is totally right. He would never talk about anything that happened back during that period where he was in Congress, particularly not how his intern died in his office. But let's get a little more highbrow with the analysis and go to Jonathan Turley, who wrote this thread earlier today on Twitter. When asked if Biden should have regrets, Representative Ro Kahana just told Fox News, why can't we have a process to make sure classified documents aren't removed or to make sure a member of Congress is not removing these? Yeah, great question, Kami. Jonathan Turley answers. We do. Kahana called for reforms, but the standards are clear. Members like then-Senator Biden are not allowed to remove classified documents. They sign papers to that effect. While they are not strip-searched, that process has existed for decades. Then-Senator Biden had to remove these documents from a secure location and likely take in a briefcase on Amtrak or other transportation. It is a torrent of violations of the process that existed. These documents have popped up everywhere Biden has worked, with the exception of the occasional trip to Fenway Park, it is an overlaid map of Biden movements. That is not due to the lack of a process. Also, keep in mind that these documents appear to have been stored for over 14 years. The vice presidential documents have been floating around for roughly six years. That is not a problem of a lack of process or clear rules. Indeed, that is a problem with how the fake president has gone about his business 
and his business is political corruption for the last five decades. This is who Joe Biden is. This is who everyone was saying Joe Biden is before he stole the 2020 election. This is not new information about Joe Biden. Sure, the documents thing is new, but Joe Biden has existed as a corrupt political figure for 50 years. So we get the clown show reaction from Morning Mika and Joe Scarborough. We get a more nuanced normie take from Jonathan Turley. But let's get down to the real business. This is Cash Patel this morning on War Room. You came on here and go, hey, there are going to be a lot more documents in a lot more locations. How did you know that and say with such certainty? Because actually what I'm going to tell you for the first time, which I haven't said on the air or in any media, this investigation did not start because librarians at NARA came out and said there are overdue library books. Excuse me, you guys forgot to return X. As a former federal prosecutor, as a guy who led the intelligence community, classified investigations don't start there. You know where they start? When you have a crime that you are investigating. You know what crime the DOJ was looking at for the last four years? Hunter Biden's laptop. Mark my word, this classified investigation will it will be put out by the uh, federalization of the excuse me, the weaponization of the federal government subcommittee on Jim Jordan when they get the following document, the electronic communication, the EC, just like Devin and I got in Russiagate. That is a singular document of the FBI that says where and when the investigation started. It will trace right back to Hunter Biden's laptop. They will find information on it about China and Russia and Ukraine, which led them to go and search for documentation relevant to that crime, which led them to Joe Biden's door. And that's why I have always said when NARA said, oh, we were missing one set of documents. I said that is the biggest political cover up of a crime I've ever seen. And it's going to be a waterfall of documents. Um, and now they've come out. And that leads me to the, the the intent portion, Steve. The fact that Joe Biden has all these lawyers who are around the documents and investigation, let's put that aside. None of these lawyers are telling him to shut up. He's out there literally lying and talking about consciousness of guilt. It's a, it's a federal term we use in criminal trials. I have no idea. I didn't know this was going on. It's like me when I was a public defender and defended murders and, and they were like, they tell the cops, oh, I don't know what happened. And then the cops put out the receipts and then they put it in front of the jury and they're like, hey, you lied about it to the world. This guy just doesn't know when to quit. And the fact that they were in the wild for 15 to 20 years is a reflection on his intent. He's going to continuously say he had no idea what was going on for 20 some years as it relates to classified documentation. And remember the intent requirement for classified documents when it comes to being a felony. You simply have to be reckless, which means you have to be doing what Joe Biden is doing right now. Got that? So this investigation did not start because Joe Biden's lawyers found classified documents at his think tank, turned them over to NARA and the DOJ, and they just let the public know two months later as a sign of their transparency and how little they did wrong. These documents were targeted by David Weiss's investigation into Hunter Biden and the laptop. And this, my friends, is why Garrett Ziegler and Marco Polo always remind people that this is the report on the Biden laptop. This is not about Hunter Biden. This is about Joe Biden and the political corruption that he facilitated through his son, Hunter, through his brother, Jimmy, and through his brother, Frank. This is 
decades worth of corruption culminating in all of the evidence on the Biden laptop, on Hunter's laptop. All that evidence is real. That evidence shows corrupt political dealings with our foreign adversaries in an effort to implement an agenda that has nothing at all to do with the good of the American people. That's what this is about. And this should also tell you that the fake president and his fake administration had absolutely no idea any of this was going on. They were using the information they had to come up with a story that they could take out and tell the American public, yes, we are being transparent. We found this voluntarily, handed it over voluntarily. There's absolutely nothing wrong here whatsoever, except that was all a lie. All of this is a product of an investigation into the political corruption and criminality of the Biden family. Now, I don't know about you, but it sounds pretty clear to me like the fake president has no idea what's going on. And the question is, how long will all of this narrative interference continue to shield the fake president from accountability? He still has plenty of people on Twitter trying to say that Donald Trump is the real bad guy. It's not Joe Biden. It's Donald Trump. Same excuse as always. Donald Trump had so many more documents as if the number matters. And he intended to hide them. He intended to sell them to our foreign adversaries. There's no evidence of any of that. Donald Trump was negotiating with NARA the entire time. His lawyers were on it the entire time. That FBI raid of Mar-a-Lago, well, that wasn't necessary. That was just for show. That may have just been to set as my friend Just Human calls it, a template for what we are now seeing. But that's not how we were told the story, is it? We were told that the walls are closing in again on Donald Trump. But it sounds like the walls are closing in on Joe Biden. I guess that remains to be seen how long that will take. But at least we know there are actual crimes behind this that we can describe, that we can evidence from the report on the Biden laptop. And from the fact that Joe Biden has top secret classified information he's not supposed to have just scattered around at all his properties, including the think tank funded by the CCP. And at this point, it's all getting to be even a little too much for Karine Jean-Pierre to explain. Here's the fake press secretary today. The House Oversight Committee chairman says this document situation has all the makings of a potential cover-up. Is President Biden involved in a cover-up? We have been very clear here from this administration. The president has been very clear that um, he takes this very seriously when it comes to the when it comes to classified information, when it comes to classified documents, and that his team has been um, has been fully cooperative uh, with this legal matter. Anything else, Peter? And this is, and I'm, I'm going to be very serious. You asked me kind of a question that everybody laughed at, which was interesting question to ask. But any other uh, any other underlying questions that you may have, I would refer you to my colleagues, the White House Counsel. I'm going to continue to be prudent. I'm going to be continue to be consistent and refer you uh, to any questions you have. Now, you may have noticed that Karine Jean-Pierre did not at any point in that answer say no 
This isn't a cover up. She just reiterated that Joe Biden takes classified documents very seriously. And apparently he must have taken them very seriously. It's beginning to seem like classified documents were one of the most important business products Joe Biden was able to produce for all of his pals in adversarial foreign regimes around the world and probably the globalist enterprise as well, which might explain how Joe Biden has become so fantastically wealthy after 50 years of no gainful employment other than his job as a public servant. You know, Joe Biden, public servant, a return to decency. The adults are back in the room. And also, come on, man. If you don't vote for me, you ain't black. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!